Hello and welcome to JumboCast, the podcast, season two, episode three. I am Owen Fitzsimons, your host, joined today by Daniel Mahoney, Jenny Liu, Max Goldfarb, and Sam Brill. First, let's head to the Athletes' Corner. Sam, take it away. I'm here now with Mac Bradle of Tufts Men's Lacrosse and Tufts Men's Golf. And this spring, Mac is a junior attackman and named a preseason first-team All-American. Mac, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So now that it's spring and you're focused on lacrosse, what are you looking forward to most this season? Um, you know, we're competing. Uh, you know, we're hoping um, we still we haven't heard anything on our season yet. Um, we're, we're preparing the best that we can, um, but we're just looking forward to competing and, and playing some some guys that aren't wearing Tufts colors. But, um, you know, it's we haven't played in a long time, so we're just itching to get back out there and play. Yeah, and you guys have a really special program in the athletic department. This, se- this season, your team had three preseason first-team All-Americans, three second-team All-Americans, and additional four honorable mentions. So what is the culture really surrounding your team that keeps you guys at the top of the D3? Um, yeah, I think, you know, our all Tufts across is predicated on hard work. Um, and, you know, it doesn't matter if you're the least talented guy on the team or the most talented guy on the team. Um, the hardest workers are going to, are going to show, um, and they're, they're going to, they're going to be the one to get the accolades. Um, but we don't, we don't put much of any thought into, uh, those, those awards. Um, we try, you know, our only goal as a team is to win championships. Um, so I think just in, in our goal of reaching, um, and, and trying to win national championships, uh, drives all of us, uh, to be better as individuals, um, both on and off the field. But I think, yeah, just, just the hard work that we put in um, is where those awards come from. But like I said, it's not something that we put too much thought into um, or stress over much at all. Absolutely. And, and you guys are a team that have been there in the past and, and won championships pretty recently. Is that culture sort of surrounding the team? Is that dominant? Do you guys, you know what it's like, so you want to get back there as soon as possible? Um, yeah, and, and I think... I think that's definitely part of it. We know, we know what it's like to win big games uh, and, and to, you know, uh, compete at a high level. Um, but we haven't, no, no guys on our team right now, um, which is all that matters has been to a national championship. Um, and, and a lot of guys that, that are going to be playing uh, haven't had, had many games at all. Um, we're juniors now and it feels like, you know, it's, it's time has flown by uh, with only playing four games last year. Um, so yeah, I think definitely just, um, following our alumni, um, guys who've been, been there before and, uh, have won the national championship, uh, really helps us keep our eyes on the goal and know, um, what we have to do to get there. Absolutely. And is there anything special that you guys do pregame, either in the training room or in the locker room that helps you guys kind of, you know, stay on top? Um, I, I don't think. I know a lot of guys have some stuff that they do before games, some sort of rituals. I don't personally, um, but for us, our, our game days, um, we almost treat it like it's like a practice. Um, you know, we don't, we get, we get pumped up and everything, but, but we try and stay, um, fall back on our training um, and treat it like any other day um, and be prepared for the task. Um, so I, I personally don't do anything out of the ordinary, um, but 
some guys some guys have some some stuff that they do before games but most most importantly it's we we need to be prepared um and i think nothing changes from day to day as we're always trying to get uh, one step better every day Absolutely. And, and you say that you fall back on your training. So talk to me a little bit now about what those lifts and practices look like, especially these days. Yeah, right, right now it's, it's definitely um, some different circumstances. Um, we have shorter lifts, um, socially distanced lifts inside. Um, and then we, we get out to practice not as many times, excuse me, not as many times out during the week uh, as we normally would. Um, but we get out there enough and we, um, you know, we get good two hours work in, uh, on most nights. And the other thing is that we're doing a good job as a team is getting in work outside of practice, things that we can do on our own. Um, so it's definitely, um, a lot of time that we put into, uh, the season, especially in season, uh, and COVID is making that a little bit more difficult to be together with the team, but, um, we're doing, I think we're doing a good job. I'm doing everything we possibly can to uh, be as ready as we possibly can. Right. And, and you said that COVID is definitely making it more difficult to, to get together as a team. Has that sort of impacted your team chemistry or are you guys not really worried about what it's going to look like when, when you finally get to play in games? Uh, yeah, not, not so much. Um, it's definitely made things more difficult. And I think teams all across the country have experienced some difficulties, whether that be having to do stuff online um, stuff like that. But for us, you know, we, we like to say we control the controllables. Um, and one thing that we can do as a team is, is stay together, um, and stay committed to, to our goal of uh, trying to win a national championship. So for us, it's, we just are trying to get one step better every day um, and can control what we can control. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you said it, the goal is always to win a national championship, but it's also to progress as an athlete, a person and a leader do you feel that your teammates have done that? And do you feel like you've done that as well coming into this season? Um, I do. I do. I think uh, that's the other thing about this program that is so awesome um, is you come out way, a way better man. Um, you go through some, some tough, some tough times with lifts and, and long practice days um, with a tough schedule, but, you know, definitely our coaching staff and the alumni, um, and everyone that's been through this program has no knows um, what it what it takes to be a good person, and we always try and uh, improve that every day, just like we try and improve our, our lacrosse every day. Um, and my teammates, I think definitely, um, I, I talked about it before. We did a lot of stuff online um, over the summer, and you know, at the end of last spring. Um, but I, I definitely think that that we've been doing the right things to just get a little bit better every day, um, and I think that 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 shows in the long run and will show in the long run. Yeah, that's, that's definitely great stuff. And, you know, you have to be staying on top of your game, both in and out of the classroom. And what do you do specifically, if there was one piece of advice that you could give to help other people stay on top of their game, both in and out of the classroom, what, what would that be? Um, I think if I had to give one piece of advice, it'd probably just be to, you know, stay, um, stay committed to, to the goals that you have. Um, at Tufts, we are very goal oriented um, and we uh, try, it's really important to, to have a goal in mind um, and set a schedule so you don't get off task, you don't get offline. Um, and that's what's helped me the most and learning a lot of that through Tufts lacrosse and Tufts golf, um, the time management piece with being able to stay 
uh, stay up with work in the classroom uh, as well as perform on the, the course of the field. Um, definitely, have, I've learned a lot of that in college and, and with these programs. All right, Mac, thank you so much for joining us today and good luck this season. Thank you, Sam. Appreciate it. Now we're going to flip things over to Jenny Liu, who's here to talk to us about all things NBA All-Star Weekend, a little bit of a preview for what's to come. Jenny, happy to have you on here today. Uh, good to be back. So, Jenny, the All-Star Draft was last night. What are some takeaways from that draft? I mean, I think you really can't go wrong with any of um, any combination of the players from the lineups, but I think that LeBron does have a slightly stronger team for the West, and there was a little controversy with LeBron and KD leaving the two Jazz players, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, for the two last picks. But in my opinion, I think that LeBron did make the right choice by picking Sabonis over, over Gobert. Yeah, it yep. should be exciting. Was interesting too. You saw that they made some comment about how nobody ever played with the Utah Jazz on on video games. Yeah, uh, that was really funny. But you know, in my opinion, with Carl Malone, that's totally understandable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think I I watched the video of Giannis reacting to finding out who's on his team, and that that team. What is it? Giannis, Luca, Steph, um, Jokic, and LeBron. It just yeah, seemed- that's a crazy team seems unreal so hopefully this year we'll have an all-star game as competitive as the last one because the last one was a ton of fun to watch yeah and lebron and steph are playing together for the first time so that'll be super exciting awesome yeah i know you're you're a golden state fan so always good to see steph in there um what or do you believe there were any players that were snubbed uh from the lineups yeah, I think there are snubs every year, and this year was pretty obvious as well. I think a strong case could be made for Trey Young, who was really punished for being on a bad team and losing, but he's still obviously playing really well on his team. Um, Devin Booker was a huge controversy. Obviously, now he is in the All-Star game, replacing AD, who's out of out because of a calf injury. But I think he should have been in the original lineup in the first place, and that's sort of the consensus. And um, the only one that's really kind of debatable is Sabonis, who um, is also in the All-Star game now as a replacement for Kevin Durant. But I personally think he should have been in the original lineup and could have taken the spot of maybe Levine or Vooch or Randall. But it's really hard because all of them deserve it. Yeah, I I won't be taking any Julius Randall slander in this podcast. Julius Randall is... (laughs) Is is the most deserving All Star man? Yeah, he's very he's very deserving. Um, as I just in turn in, ter- in terms of of turning around his his reputation in the league as being going from one of the most selfish players to averaging like seven assists on the on the season. But anyway, I di- I digress. But that <laughs> takes us into the uh, what do you think of the current NBA standings? Obviously, I'm a Knicks fan, so we're loving seeing the Knicks up in fourth in the East. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, so what do you think of the conference standings as well as I want to hear your thoughts on East versus West in the sense that it just looks like the West is is so much harder at the moment than the East. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, first of all, we all thought the Lakers and Bucks were supposed to be at the top of the charts this season. But right now we have the Jazz and Sun in the East, in the West and in the East, we have the Sixers and Nets. And one thing is that we'll see if they can really keep this up because it might 
be a fluke, but although these teams are all really good. And obviously, like you said, in the West, it's always a lot more competitive in the West, but right now it's just crazy. I mean, a lot of Eastern Conference teams that have good standings would have really low seeds in the West right now. And I think that some takeaways was that we thought the Mavs were just having a slow start, but honestly, at this point, they don't really seem to be improving. And it's iffy whether or not they're going to make the playoffs. Um, Luca is putting up numbers, but KB isn't really playing super well. And so it'll be a tough fight. And I'm going to talk about the Warriors, obviously, because I'm a Warriors fan. But I'd love to see them make the playoffs, which I think they will, despite not having Clay. They've been having a couple um, bad games recently. But last night, Steph and Draymond and like all their good players were out. Um, and in the East, we have Celtics, which is just above um, 5-0, which is – and they have, like, a big, like, center problem, which they need to solve. But last night we saw we saw their bench, like, really step up, which um, is looking good. And obviously one of the most surprising teams this year has been the Knicks, as you said, which they actually look like a good team, which is very surprising. And it looks like they may – uh, make the playoffs as of right now. Yeah, I'm. I'm also, I guess, kind of tying it back to the All Star conversation. How have the Celtics managed to get two people in the All Star? That, that seems I mean, ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, Jason Tatum obviously, but Jalen Brown is like has been super underrated for years, and this season he has been absolutely killing it. So he is more than deserving of it. Okay, I'll, I'll take your word from it. My my brother's a Celtics <laughs> fan, so the fact that the Knicks are sitting above the Celtics is probably the highlight of the last five years for me. Yeah. Um, but yes, we uh we uh we go back and forth, but the Celtics having two All Stars to me seems a little ridiculous. Again, when you say players like Trey Young are there and getting pu- aren't there, sorry, and getting punched for a team that's not winning, it's not exactly like the Celtics have been winning either. I think they just snuck back up to five hundred, so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the popularity test or popularity contest continues uh, in the NBA All Star Game, but hopefully we see one as competitive as two years ago, and hopefully this doesn't ruin the league with uh with some COVID repercussions because it does seem kind of okay. risky. Yeah, for sure. And I talked about that in the last podcast, but I do think the All Star Game is like unnecessary, but it's gonna happen. So yeah, we may as well enjoy it, right? That's right. Well, thank you very much for for coming on again, Jenny. We missed you talking about the NBA there for a couple weeks. Always good to have you back on. Uh, Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. Now, moving on to more basketball, a little double basketball segment this week. We have Daniel Mahoney talking about the state of college basketball. College basketball currently getting ready for March Madness. Um, but with a whole another twist this year due to COVID restrictions. So, Daniel, happy to have you on. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, to get started here, with the COVID restrictions in place, what does March Madness actually look like in terms of what the NCAA uh, is doing? Yeah, so um, the NCAA is going for a pseudo-bubble format. Uh, normally, we there are um, regionals in many different cities across the U.S., but this year it's all going to be in and around Indianapolis. Um, they'll be using the stadiums of University of Indiana, Purdue, Butler, IUPUI, 
as well as uh, the Pacers and the Colts Stadium. Um, so so that's the, the big difference is just the location, and that's you know just to minimize travel, which is good. The other thing is that the schedule is going to have a slight change. Normally, the first or each of the weekends are Thursday to Sunday um, for the first two weeks, and then Saturday and Monday for the final two games. Um, but it's a bit of a shift just to add in a little bit of buffer time in between uh, some of the rounds. So the, the, first, the first weekend is going to be Monday, sorry, Friday to Monday from uh, March 19th to the 22nd. And then the next weekend is actually going to be Saturday to Tuesday. So there'll be uh, Elite Eight games on, on a Tuesday night there uh, at the end of March, um, but then ending again with a Saturday and then Monday night final on April 5th. Sounds interesting. Yeah, you have to say, I mean, the NCAA, obviously controversial, has its issues, and we certainly have some feelings down here in Division Three as well. But they, they look like they've put together a pretty solid plan and, and will hopefully handle the COVID situation a lot better than, say, the MLB did, um, as you've talked about previously. So with all these, uh, with all the difficulties teams and conferences have faced scheduling this year with COVID protocols, is going to be harder to predict teams' performances. I, I know it's already crazy hard in, in March Madness as it is, but what kind of added difficulty has, has COVID and scheduling issues thrown into the loop? Yeah, so in addition to, you know, the NCAA, of course, has been dealing with all these uh, logistical problems, but each of the conferences have also held, um, you know, they've made their own scheduling changes. So... One conference, the Ivy League, has actually just opted out, so there's no Ivy League teams that have been playing basketball at all this year. Um, but a lot of teams have uh, they've scheduled fewer out-of-conference games, um, and most of those, those pretty much only at the beginning of the season, many of which ended up getting canceled for COVID anyway. So there just haven't been very many um, games between the different conferences, and so it's really hard to tell if you're looking at these uh, these teams from different conferences, how can you really predict who's going to be the better team? Um, one of the big things with that is that the Big Ten this year is looking very good. Um, they've got Michigan on top and a lot of good teams right around there with Illinois, Ohio State, Iowa. But then there's the question with some of the uh, some of the other Big Ten teams like Maryland, Rutgers, Purdue. And they, you know, they've mainly only been playing other Big Ten teams. So how will they really stack up against some of the uh, standout teams from some of the smaller conferences as well as uh, some of the, um, the other Power Five conferences? Um, in addition, I think, so, you know, those, the, the big conferences that people are talking about with Big Ten and the Big 12, um, but so you also get some weird things where, like, uh, Colgate is, is the funny one where in – the, the NET rankings, they're in like the top 10, even though um, they're this you know, pretty small school from a small conference. But it's basically like they have small sample size, plus they've only played within their conference. Um, so, you know, it's really hard to, hard to say um, what's going to happen in March. Yeah, I, I mean, interesting. You said they're UMish after they, I assume that's UMish is what you meant by Michigan, correct? Yes. Um, didn't they get blown out last week? Yeah, so they ended up taking just uh, so let's see they they had a really tough schedule this week. They faced off, um, they beat Ohio State in a really good game. Then they beat Iowa, uh, and actually a, a pretty solid win there. 
And they followed up with a loss to uh, Illinois by 17. And of course, Illinois is a very good team. They're they're currently ranked number four, projected probably going to be a one or two seed. Um, and so you know, at this point in time, it's only their their second loss of the season. So uh, I'm still pretty high on Michigan. Of course, you're always going to have some bad games. The problem is just you can't have uh, too many bad ones when uh, when it when we get to the actual tournament and one loss and you're out. So we'll see how it turns out for them. Yeah, I'm a Buckeyes fan myself, so anytime I can watch Michigan lose by 23, I'm I'm pretty excited. <laughs> um, it was a it was it was nice, and especially I know Illinois for that game had their best player out. Um, so everyone everyone was again hot on Michigan. Fingers crossed they they continue this trend of losing every once in a while into March Madness. Um, but moving on from here, so kind of talked about the top contenders a little bit. Um, if you want to elaborate a little more, just give me like maybe a like a top top five to look out for. Yeah, sure. So uh, at this point, basically, it's pretty set on three of the number one seeds for the tournament. Uh, Michigan, as we mentioned, um, now sitting with just two losses. Um, secondly, Baylor, who have looked very good. They were undefeated until uh, they lost to a good West Virginia team just last week. Um, but they're still, with just one loss, they're going to be a one seed. And then, of course, out in the West is Gonzaga, uh, who is the only undefeated team left. Of course, the funny thing with Gonzaga is it seems like every year, they they just dominate their conference, the West Coast Conference, um, and so. But the problem is they don't face as much stiff competition in that conference. Uh, their main competition is BYU, maybe St. Mary's. Um, but so, and now of course with this year, they played a few out of conference games, which of course they won since they're undefeated at the beginning of the year. But they haven't recently, so it's a big question mark. And I feel like a lot of people every year. Maybe not every year, but Gonzaga has a lot of high expectations, and some of the times they've fallen a bit short. So we'll see if they can uh, pull off the undefeated run. In terms of the fourth number one seed, it's basically wide open. I mean, Illinois is looking very good because they just beat Michigan. Um, but, you know, Ohio State was there just a little bit ago. Iowa has a good argument um, with Luca Garza. West Virginia has a good argument, having just beat Baylor. Um, so... It's, it's really close around that next, you know, four to ten range or so. Yeah, I mean, that's how you like to see it. I, I like Gonzaga just because Gonzaga's, I mean, they don't get slept on in any means by in terms of college basketball, but I like schools that are just good at college basketball. You know, like what what is <laughs> yeah. Gonzaga known? It's same with like like you said, St. Mary's, Xavier and Marquette were two schools for me that I always just liked <laughs> because when I was younger growing up watching Marsh Madness, they would pop up out of nowhere and I'd be like, oh, who, who the hell are those guys? So those are always fun fun teams to watch, but it, obviously it's hard to tell before the brackets come out. But who are some Cinderella teams we should watch out for? Yeah, so there's there's two two uh, categories of Cinderellas that I'll go with. First, there's the the Cinderellas that usually end up with like uh, the first round upsets, big upsets. So you think of like your UMBC, your Florida Gulf Coast. They're probably not going to make a big run, but they could make you know they could have their 15 minutes of fame. Um, and so those are usually some some teams who win in a pretty small conference. And, uh, you know, if we're looking at some opportunities there, 
I'm out of the America East where UMBC is. There's another chance UMBC. Of course, I'm I'm follower of UMBC basketball, of course, since I'm uh, from the Maryland area. But uh, they'll be facing off against Vermont. Well, sorry. Uh, they're they're tied for the top seed. They're the top two seeds are UMBC and Vermont in the America East. So if they manage to uh, win this weekend, they will face off um, for a tournament bid in the finals next weekend. Some of the other conferences uh, to look at, or sorry, some of the other uh, some of the other Cinderella teams maybe to look at Western Kentucky, um, out of the Conference USA. It's also a name that I like to throw out: Grand Canyon, who I believe have never actually made it to March Madness before, but have done well in the past few seasons. Have a chance to make it this year. Um, so they're a good story. So that's category one. You've got your, you know, you like your 13 to 16 seeds. Then I look at the category two Cinderellas are the teams that are sort of in the middle, sort of a four to eight seeds that could really go deep and threaten to make final four. And you, you never know what happens after that. Um, a lot of teams in here, it's funny, you know, looking at the past 10 years or so, pretty much every year there's at least one team in the final four that's a four seed or higher. The hard part of course, is just predicting which one it's going to be. Um, one way you can look at it, I mean, there's you can think about the runs that like a single player feels like they're putting a team on their back. So you're thinking of like, uh, you know, Kemba Walker with UConn, Gordon Hayward with Butler, uh, Steph Curry with Davidson, something like that. Um, and so if you're looking at, you know, some of the, the top stars, you might be thinking about um, looking at NBA Material really, so you're looking at maybe Kate Cunningham out of Oklahoma State. Another player I was looking at uh, James Book Knight, no Boo Knight, uh, also out of UConn, um, and then as well uh, freshman Scotty Barnes at Florida State. Florida State has done very well, um, so I mean those are teams you can look for to maybe make a deep run. Yeah, I was watching the uh, the Oklahoma State versus. Uh the Sooners game the other day and Cade Cunningham, I think was like three points or something in the first half. And then had 15 plus, I believe in the second half and won the game for yeah. Oklahoma hitting a couple of really clutch free throws. Um, he looks like the real deal, especially being able to turn it around in such a, such a heated rivalry game there. So I definitely, I like Oklahoma state um, a lot out of those picks. I think that they could really upset some people. Um, but with conference tournaments now in full swing, what games or conference tourneys are you, are you you looking forward to the most? Yeah, well, some I've, I've mentioned a little bit. Definitely, the Big Ten tournament will be should be great games, no matter who makes the you know whoever gets uh, into the finals in that. Uh, I'm also really hoping for a uh, Baylor West Virginia rematch because that should be exciting in the Big Twelve. Um, but the big thing that a lot of teams are looking at is the bubble watch. So around this time, if you're a team that's right on the edge, if you can make a run in your conference tournament, maybe that gives you the edge to uh, to boost your resume and make the tournament. On the other side, if if there's some team in a smaller conference that makes a run and steals the automatic bid from that conference, then you could be pushed out of the bubble. So, for example, like if if some crazily nebraska were to win the big ten tournament right then all of a sudden they would get the automatic bid and it would push someone else out of the bubble um so the teams there there are a lot of big teams actually on the bubble this year um 
looking at like Duke, uh, Michigan State, UNC is also like just above the bubble right now. So they're looking a little bit safer, but you never know. Um, and so busters could come from anywhere. I think one place to look out for them is in a conference like uh, Missouri Valley Conference, where Loyola Chicago is doing really well. And they're definitely a lock for the tournament. So if some other team in the MVC makes a run in the conference tournament and steals that automatic qualifier bid, they could easily be a bracket, uh, sorry, a bubble buster. I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I think actually, funnily enough, currently at the time of recording, UMass is playing St. Louis in the Atlantic 10, I believe tournament, um, that I, that I had on ESPN here, um, it's just it's a fun time in college basketball. I think yeah. especially after we were robbed of March Madness last year. And looking yeah. back on it, it, it's such a minor thing, but at the time it felt so huge. Um, it's so fun to just be able to turn on the TV at any point and see some some random competitive game of college basketball. And obviously looking forward to March Madness where my days are entirely taken up by just watching random teams play each other and feeling like it's it's the end of the world if one team wins or loses you know so yeah no homework is getting done this week no not at all i think official start date for march madness march 18th i want to say uh yes 18th is when the first four games so the play-in games will take place uh selection sunday coming up uh next weekend um, by the time this podcast comes out, the, fear, the first few conference tournaments will have finished. Uh, the first, I think, is the Ohio Valley Conference, um, which has their finals tomorrow. But So some teams will be uh, punching their tickets very soon, and uh, that break will be coming out quite soon as well. Yeah, I'm very excited. I know we do a, a March Madness bracket for JumboCast every year, so that'll be fun to, to get underway. Um, just lots to look forward to. Things are looking up. Things are looking up. We'll, we'll have a Beautiful March Madness tournament, hopefully not too impacted by COVID. Hopefully the athletes are all responsible and those that aren't get punished and kicked out of the tournament. <laughs> um, because, again, it just takes one person to kind of ruin the whole thing. So fingers crossed we can have a successful March Madness tournament. Um, hopefully we get to see some tough sports sometime soon. Who knows? Lots Cross to look forward fingers. to. Yeah, lots to look forward to. Lots coming up. Um, thank you so much for joining me today, Daniel. Uh, we'll keep an eye on March Madness. I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast once once things are, are in the swing. And if actually, before you go, who would you say right now? Um, who do you think is going to win? I can always edit it out uh, if they don't win. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, you know, I'm always wrong. And everyone, most people are. But I'm going to go out and I'm going to pick Michigan. Even though I'm not a fan of Michigan. And even though they just come off a really bad loss, I'm going to pick them. Okay. Well, you heard it here first. Daniel Mahoney is 100% certain that Yunish <laughs> is going to win the NCAA. And if he's not, uh, make sure to let him know. All right. Thank you very much for joining us, Daniel. Thanks for having me. And now on to all things NHL with our resident hockey fanatic, Maxwell Goldfarb. Max, good to have you on. Thanks for having me. So starting off right now, NHL season, correct me if I'm wrong, is in full swing at the moment. Who has been your league MVP um, at the moment? Yeah, for me, it's, you know, it's tough. And I always have pause um, going with the guy who's not the point leader, just because I feel like that's how these things normally work. 
But I'm going to go with a guy who is currently tied for second in the league with points, uh, which is Chicago Blackhawks winger Patrick Kane, a familiar name for those in the know. He hasn't been, I would say, at the top of the the point leaderboard in the past few seasons, but he has surged up this season with 35 points. Um, and and for me, like I was saying before, Owen, um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to go away from uh, the the league leader in points, which in this case is uh, is Connor McDavid, who seemingly is is up there every year and got rewarded with an MVP last year. However, I think the fact that you know he has that pretty comparable sidekick in Leon Dreisaitl, uh, which Kane lacks in my opinion, I think that makes uh, Kane's performance stand out even more. Um, I mean, I'll say Alex DeBrinket, uh, the spunky five foot seven forward on the uh, on the Blackhawks, has definitely stepped up. Uh, with, with um, I believe it's 26 points in the season so far. However, you know, Kane still has nine more points than him and has propelled the team into a surprising uh, fourth-place position in the Central Division, uh, which is pretty impressive considering that the team was pegged by many just to finish ahead of the lowly Red Wings in the division and is without um, its, I guess, the, the sort of um, off-sighted sidekick of Patrick Kane over the years, which is Jonathan Taze, who's been out with an injury. Um, and yeah, I guess another sort of candidate you could you could throw in there for MVP would be either Mitch Marner or um, Austin Matthews, both forwards on a surprising first place uh, in the North Division Toronto Maple Leafs team. However, I think the fact that those guys have each other and have really um, uh, gotten into a, a sort of chemistry rhythm over the past few years, for me, it, it makes uh, each of their individual uh, performances a little less impressive. I definitely agree with you there. I, I must say I, I'm a big Connor McDavid fan because I'm I so casually watch hockey. I think he was like even I knew who he was coming into the league. He was so hyped up and it's I just love seeing the transition from like somebody that has that much pressure on them to actually like performing. Um obviously it's very tough when people are, are saying that they expect all these things out of you. So I think it's like almost more impressive than when you live up to it. So he would be my guy right now, um, but obviously agree to disagree. Uh, I would imagine for somebody who, who avidly watches hockey, it could also be boring seeing somebody get the MVP all the time. And um, you, want, you want to spread the love around, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, one last note on the MVP question. I mean, to me, and again, this is kind of my bias um, based on the team I like, but, but to me, my, my pick in, in Patrick Kane is somewhat reminiscent of uh, – when, when my guy, when he was playing for the Devils, Taylor Hall, uh, won the MVP with, I think, maybe the fifth most points that year. Um, you know, again, he pulled up a, a surprising uh, Devils team that made the playoffs that year and really didn't have the greatest supporting cast. So, yeah, they're definitely, like, like you're saying, Owen, they're definitely two sides, um, two sides to look at it. Absolutely. And can you just clarify one, one thing for me quickly? So... Uh, obviously, points are goals and assists, correct? Correct. So, defensive players rarely ever get a shout. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like um, I'll, I'll compare it to non quarterbacks winning the Heisman uh, in in college football, in the sense that you really need to have an astounding year um, to to get yourself a look. I mean, I think. Hmm. Let me let me let me do a brief uh, Google search right now uh, just to see. Okay, so 
Yeah. So the last uh, defenseman to win. Wow, this is crazy. The last defenseman to win the Hart Trophy, the league MVP, was uh, a guy by the name of Chris Pronger, uh, who won it back in the year 2000. So, yeah, like your like your intuition said on. I mean, it, you really just do not see uh, defensemen even get too many mentions unless they have, uh, you know, an incredible year. Um, and and mostly from a from a from an offensive standpoint, there's very little like defensive metric consideration in uh, in getting MVP shots. Yeah, always sad to see. I mean, uh, defense in any sport really is, is often underappreciated. Obviously, like if you look back to the NFL draft when Joe Burrow was taken first, there's no doubt in my mind that Chase Young will probably be a better NFL player than Joe Burrow, but Chase Young was never going to get picked first um, just for being on the defensive side of the ball. So it happens in all sports. Show, show your defender friend some love every once in a while. They don't get enough of it. Um, but now, moving on, um, up to up up north. Uh, speaking of Canadian teams, which Canadian team do you give the best shot to win the cup? So it's it's always an important it's always important to not mince words with an answer like this because a Canadian team hasn't won the cup since I believe nineteen ninety three. So I'll, I'll do my best to give a good answer here. So I'm gonna go a little surprise at least based on what the standings indicate and go with the uh, go with the Winnipeg Jets. So currently. Uh, they're they're second in that North Division behind the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, and yeah, to me they check a ton of boxes. They have a balanced offense. Uh, four guys currently have 23 plus points, uh, which are Blake Wheeler, uh, Mark Shifley, the um, really underappreciated center who's leading the team with 32 points, um, Nikolai Ehlers, and uh, the Merc Kyle Connor. Um, and, and I think, yeah, also getting into that offense a little bit more, uh, Pierre Luc Dubois, um, was a really key pickup of theirs when they acquired him in a trade with the Columbus Blue Jackets about a month back. It was a, it was a swap of players disgruntled with their teams, uh, when the Jets sent Patrick Laine, their prolific goal scorer to the Blue Jackets in exchange for Dubois. Um, he brings, you know, I think compared to compared to Line, he brings a little more physic physicality. And you know, while he's not as great of a goal scorer as, as Line, he still definitely a solid scoring touch. He has six points in eight games so far with the Jets, um, and is sort of just getting back into the swing of, I'll say, trying hard while playing hockey because he definitely lacks that drive, as he was a bit fed up with the uh, with uh, John Tortorella and the Blue Jackets system, and. Yeah, last point on the Jets, I'll say they have great goaltending too. And as we know, um, in the hockey world, that definitely helps a ton as far as propelling a team to a championship. Uh, so their goaltender is a guy by the name of Connor Hellebuck. He doesn't quite have the numbers that won him the, the Vezina Trophy for best goaltender last year. His save percentage is down from 0. 0.922 to 0.915, which is still incredibly respectable. Um, and it's just been super consistent over the past few years. And with his and, and the team in general's playoff experience, I think it bodes well for them insofar as making a deep run. And, and I would be remiss not to mention anything about the Leafs considering just how under fire they sort of always are for being in the hockey capital of the world. I'll, I'll make that argument uh, and having the season that they're having so far. Uh, I, I still think, as many hockey commentators I'm sure would agree, they just don't really have, I think, the defense and goaltending for them to stack up well against some of the league's 
best teams. I think that when you get into playing some of the teams in that East division, which is uh, definitely a bit stronger than the North, I think it'll, it'll be tough for the Leafs to really keep a pace with those teams. Cause I don't think they're going to be able to outscore them, which is I think generally their MO. Um, so I think they'll probably unfortunately see one of their uh, oft, oft occurring first round exits um, in, in these years playoff. I mean, fingers crossed that doesn't happen, but as you as you mentioned earlier, history uh, history says it will. So much love for for our Canadian brothers up north. I was actually uh, a little unrelated here, but funny that we're talking about hockey. I watched Miracle on Ice last night uh, for the first time. Great movie. You guys should watch it. So um, yeah. feeling very, like ten times <laughs> feeling very patriotic about U.S. hockey. So moving back to U.S. hockey players, and I guess Canadian too. The uh, trade deadline is coming up on April twelfth. Who are some players you could see getting shifted around uh, on that date or before it? It's good you mentioned American hockey because two of the three guys on my list are actually American. So I'll start with the first, a guy who happens to play currently in uh, the state from which he hails, uh, my guy, Kyle Palmieri, the New Jersey Devils. Um, he uh, So once again, the, the Devils are a bottom feeder in the league this year believe second to last in the in the East Division. And Kyle represents a pretty attractive option, in my opinion, for a team looking for a rental, which is basically a guy whose contract's expiring. You don't have, you don't even have to think about re-signing him if you don't want to. Um, so it'd just be purely for, for this year's playoff run. And I do think he he represents a pretty attractive option for for a competitive team in the playoff race. He is having, by his standards, a somewhat disappointing season with just three goals, eight, uh, six assists, excuse me, in 18 games. Uh, you know, not bad point production, but considering he's put up 24-plus goals in each of the past five seasons, including uh, including that figure in just, I believe, I want to say somewhere around 60 games with the COVID-shortened season last year, you know, he's a really steady hand as far as goal scoring goes. Um so teams looking for that scoring touch um, could, you know, could come around to to look to deal for him. And the 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 second name I'll throw out another American uh, is a defenseman uh, who was a longtime Ranger, current Red Wing. Um, feeling bad for him for that reason. Uh, a guy by the name of Mark Stahl. Um, he again would represent a rental. Um, the Red Wings, you know, no hope at all for for a playoff appearance. So I think it'd be prudent of them to. Uh, to ship off this steady defenseman who uh, doesn't have doesn't put up the flashiest numbers in terms of in terms of point getting, um, but he's super great on the back end, uh, which which would be key for a team where you know they're looking for a defensive improvement. Oftentimes, games are fairly low scoring in the playoffs, so he would definitely be a great fit for that reason. And then the final name I'll mention, definitely the the highest profile and probably the most talked about. Um, and, and certainly no, no strangers to getting traded, a guy by the name of Taylor Hall, um, who was picked up on an interesting sort of, I want to say sort of a rental free agent contract this past offseason uh, by, the, by the Buffalo Sabres for about, I think, a, a year, $8 million, I want to say. Uh, unfortunately, with his signing, the, um, the Sabres had a lot of hopes, but they have not lived up to that currently finding themselves in that position beneath the Devils in the East Division standings. Um, and with his contract expiring, again, another rental here. Uh, he's shown flashes of dominance, like I alluded to before. He won the MVP with the Devils uh, back in 2018. 
And while his goal scoring has been pretty inconsistent in his career, um, he still obviously is a, is a pretty prolific point getter. Um, but, but teams will maybe have a little pause considering he just has two goals in 21 games this season so far. Awesome. I, I definitely think you could be onto something there. I, I love trade deadlines no matter what sport. It's just like a day where at any moment you could refresh your Twitter feed and, and be absolutely shocked. So it's always fun to, always fun to keep an eye on, on different blockbuster trades happening and always a little disappointed when they don't, but I'm sure that we can get over it if that happens. Um, yeah, last thing, uh, as always, we got we to gotta take a pick. For uh for the Stanley Cup at this point in the season, obviously very early, um. But who are you liking? No, I'm I'm glad you're revisiting. I remember. Um, I know I'm just I'm just stalling right now, but I remember, uh, when I was wrapping doing a sort of NHL season wrap up with Jarrett. I want to say back around the back around Stanley Cup time, I I made my pick uh for for Stanley Cup winner this year. And I, I want to say, I want to say I picked the Avalanche. Certainly a lot of people were, were pegging them back then. Um, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the Washington Capitals. You know, I think, I think uh, they're just a super complete team. Obviously uh, had that experience having won the cup a couple of years ago. Got Ovi's first one, and I think yeah, they still have a lot of those parts. You know, I, I like that Chara pickup. Um, I think he adds a little bit of uh, a little bit of grit and and obviously um, more experience from his days with the Boston Bruins. And um, from what I feel like I've heard, Ilya Samsonov uh, in 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 the net has been pretty solid for him. Um, and I think you know going through really running through the gauntlet in that tough East division will prepare them well when they face the likes of, uh, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, in my opinion, are somewhat softer than the teams they've been playing. Um, yeah, I think it bodes well for them. And, you know, I, I could see them, uh, I could see them lifting the cup for, I guess, the second time in the next or in the past um, four, four seasons, I want to say. Yeah, I, I, the Bruins have a soft spot in my heart uh, for no reason other than I think that their logo is dope. And also I go to school in Boston. Um, but Zadino Chara leaving was tough. I mean, he was the captain for what, 14 years? Also, it's a complete side note here. How are you trading a 43-year-old? How is he still playing hockey? That seems ridiculously old. Yeah, um, no, yeah. It's it's pretty crazy too, because I feel like from what you hear in the NBA, a lot of those taller guys tend to wear down, you know, as their careers go on. But he's uh he stayed strong. I think he's been a pretty solid contributed form so it's good to see you know for his sake it's just ridiculous to me if i'm still <laughs> if i can still walk at 43 i'll be happy let alone compete professionally and be so sought after that i get traded for um but yeah speaking of strong he's also six foot nine right so uh, <laughs> it's a lot of that's a lot of body to preserve so i mean good for him hopefully i think he deserves another another chip so Hopefully your uh, your Caps prediction comes true. Um, so to sum up the predictions today, I didn't ask Jenny for an NBA All-Star Game prediction, but I think that kind of the mutually agreed thing between us was Team LeBron is too good, and then Ma- uh, Max is now coming in saying the Caps will win. 
and Daniel is coming in and saying Umish will win the NCAA for, for men's basketball. So if any of those predictions are wrong, feel free to yell at us on social media, um, particularly Max. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Max. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and, and thank you to everybody on the podcast today. Max, Jenny, Daniel, and Sam. It's been another great week here at JumboCast, and we'll see you next week. Take care.